When it comes to investing, retirement, taxes, healthcare, and estate planning, the decisions you make today can greatly affect the quality of life for you and your loved ones tomorrow. What you need is straight and unbiased information on the most important issues you'll face when planning for your retirement and financial future. Good news. You found the Retirement Blueprint with Grant Dorhout. Grant is the founder of Dorhout Retirement Services, and he's been guiding people financially and into retirement for nearly 20 years. So get ready for an hour of the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. It's time for the Retirement Blueprint. And now, here are your hosts, Grant Dorhout and Jeff Shea. Good morning, and thank you so much. Welcome to the Retirement Blueprint, the show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. On today's show, we're going to be talking about mutual funds versus ETFs, exchange-traded funds, the difference and the uses, also different types of annuities. Then we'll talk about wills versus trusts, which is right for you, and how Social Security, retirement account distributions, and pensions are taxed. My name's Jeff Shade, and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions, but the words of wisdom solid advice come from Grant Dorhout, founder and wealth advisor of Dorhout Retirement Services right here in Omaha. Grant, how are you doing this morning? I'm doing well, Jeff. How are you? I am great, Grant. Glad to be with you and glad to be here with all the fine people here of Omaha on 1290 Coil. Grant, we were talking last week, and I know people don't listen to the program every week, but we were talking about this peace in retirement, which is sort of the theme of your show, P-E-A-C-E. I've got your business card here. It is on the back of that. So what does peace in retirement really mean for you and our listeners? Yeah, that's a great question, Jeff. I get that a lot, actually, because that's on a lot of our marketing materials. It says peace in retirement, and people wonder what that's about. That's why we put that on the back of the card so that they know what we're actually speaking about. It's actually identifying different plans that we set up for people. And the first one with P is protected income, making sure that you have an income plan defined for your retirement for the rest of your life, looking at where are these things going to come from. E actually stands for efficient tax strategy. A lot of times people haven't given much thought to that because they were told, oh, well, you're going to be in a lower tax bracket when you're in retirement. Sometimes that's true. Sometimes it's not. It just depends on how you have saved and how much you've saved up and what other types of income you have. The A is for accumulation, looking at how we're going to accumulate in the market and utilize the market in a responsible way that that lets people sleep at night. C is looking at complete control of healthcare. How are we going to get through retirement? And when those expenses come from a healthcare standpoint, whether it be just at your doctor or maybe something more significant in assisted living or in a, a full-blown nursing care, how are we going to pay for those things? Not necessarily what type of insurance do we have for it, but how are we going to pay for those expenses that could come in the future? And then the E is actually for estate. That's how are we going to get things to their final destination after we're no longer here? How are we going to get things where we want them to go, whether it be a church or a charity or kids or grandkids? How are we going to get those funds there in the most efficient manner possible? And when I think of the acronym Peace in Retirement, P-E-A-C-E, I think of a comprehensive advisor because really you offer a lot of things. They're limited scope advisors. Really, they only have stocks, bonds, maybe some mutual funds. You know, they might mm-hmm. dabble in an annuity, but really you have a lot of tools in the toolbox there at Door Health Retirement Services. 
Yeah, we absolutely do. We absolutely have to. I think that's part of having the fiduciary responsibility is actually being able to utilize multiple different avenues to create a plan. We don't just say, hey, this is the only way we're only going to sell someone an annuity because that's all we have. We're not going to just put people in the market and then think that any insurance product is not appropriate because they all can be appropriate and can be utilized in a plan to make sure that we actually satisfy someone's goals throughout their retirement. I think that's the really the only way I can fulfill that fiduciary responsibility is having all of these tools in the tool chest. And Grant, if people are intrigued by this piece in retirement concept, I'll give you the number right now, 402-281-0750. It's 402-281-0750 to get your piece in retirement plan. Grant, in the beginning of the show there, I talked about the topics that we were going to be talking about today. So let's get to it. The first one is going to be mutual funds versus ETFs, exchange-traded funds, and the differences and the uses of those. So let's start off with mutual funds from a 101 level. What are mutual funds and how are they used? Yeah, well, it actually, in the in the wording, it is a fund of all of these different companies. And, it, and they can have several different companies that they're actually invested in, several different sectors. And, and you maybe have listened to the radio before and, and heard a popular radio show host say, all you need is a good growth stock mutual fund and just put your money in there and don't worry about anything else. Well, that might be a good plan, but we really, we don't know what's going to work for every individual, really, if we just say that to thousands of people, hey, just go buy this good growth stock mutual fund. Maybe that's not going to be in their best interest from a risk tolerance standpoint. What if we have this growth stock mutual fund, but we need to create income for a person, well, then that solution might be, well, hey, I'm going to get a growth and income mutual fund, and it's going to spit out a, a yield, maybe a dividend that that's actually going to pay out an income, and it may be reinvested inside of the mutual fund. They may try and get it to pay out, but it's, it's a fund that really is geared for long-term growth. If you're looking at someone in retirement, if they're only relying on mutual funds, I think that's probably a little bit risky for my liking because it's only taking into effect this type of growth stock mutual fund, if that's the advice that you've been given on another radio show, for instance. I think that from a mutual fund standpoint, they can be utilized. I don't particularly like to utilize them with retirement funds for a very mm -hmm. specific reason, because there's just some expenses inside of there that really aren't necessary. You could utilize them in a in more of a non-qualified or non-IRA type of a sense that that might be a more efficient route to go. Grant, if uh, mutual funds are right for someone and you want to use them in a plan, to my knowledge, they come two different flavors here, active mm -hmm. and passively managed. Can you elaborate Correct. on that? Yeah. So if you look at an actively managed or a, a tactical style of any type of a fund, that doesn't matter if it's a mutual fund or if it's a managed portfolio. If you have a tactical type of a fund, what it's doing is it's actively trading and it's trying to beat the market. You might be actually trying to beat the S&P 500 or whatever benchmark index they actually have set out to beat. That's what a tactical investment is really going to be geared toward. And then if you have a passive style of 
investment. That's going to be less trading. There's going to be less transactional costs inside of that type of a fund. And it's just going to kind of set it and forget it. And the only way that that's going to typically be trading is if it gets out of balance, if it sets out a goal of having X amount in X fund. And let's say that's 20% of the fund needs to be in this particular investment and it gets to 25% or if it gets to 15%, it would actually trade it back into balance. And that's really the way that a passive type of a fund is actually going to be trading. And if I heard you correctly, Grant Mutual Funds have high minimum investments. They often can have those if you're trying to manage your own IRA. So fees are a consideration there too, right? Yeah, I look at that specifically because if you look at someone that has an actively managed portfolio in an ETF versus one that's in a mutual fund, if you look at a mutual fund, you could be paying an upfront commission to whoever's selling it, if it's a broker that's selling that to you, or you could be paying an ongoing fee, which may or may not be a big deal to you, but you got to look inside of the fund as well. A lot of times I've found people say, well, yeah, my advisor charges me 1%, and that's kind of a standard answer, and there's nothing wrong with that. However, when when you look inside of the funds, I've done this plenty of times where you look inside of the funds, some mutual funds, they have an expense ratio of 0.5%. Some of them are 0.9%. Some of them are all the way up to 2% wow. on just the expense ratio. And that may be okay if it satisfies what your objective is. But I always look at, is there a more efficient way to get the same type of growth or income out of a different type of a fund? And then you start lumping in the transactional costs that can be inside of there and how much cash is actually held inside of that fund? Is that as, as efficient as we actually can be with those funds? That's questions that I always am asking on any mutual fund that I see when I see those come into the office. So fees are a consideration if you're considering mutual funds. Now, we said certainly we were going to be talking about ETFs, exchange-traded funds. So sure. let's shift to that. What is an exchange-traded fund and how does that work? Yeah. So exchange-traded fund is, it can have some of the diversification of a mutual fund. You can't typically find one ETF that's going to equal all of the diversification of a mutual fund. So what you'll see is a package of ETFs. For instance, I've looked at this plenty of times when we're comparing to a mutual fund. And if we're trying to equal what the diversification is, it might take 10, 15, 20, even 30 or 40 different ETFs to equal that diversification. And the reason that you're going to have that as a consideration is one, there's the cost on an ETF is drastically less. If you have a mutual fund that is typically somewhere around 0.9%, maybe 1% in a expense ratio, you're going to see about a 10th of that typically in the inside of ETFs. Of course, there are some ETFs that are more expensive and some that are less. However, they, as a general rule, are going to be drastically cheaper. And if you package them together, you can get the diversification of that mutual fund. Now, when I mentioned the transactional costs in the mutual fund, what you have to know is inside of an ETF, if you have the right type of custodian that doesn't charge transactional costs, if you have a managed portfolio that is passively managed, and it trades to actually get it back in balance. If you have the right custodian like we do, then you're not going to have any of those transactional costs on the back end as well. So that's a consideration everyone should be uh, should be looking at. So that's the fee consideration. I have heard, Grant, that ETFs track an index. Is that true? It can be. It's not like a hard and fast rule, though. You could have a S&P 500 ETF that, that you're following just that S&P 500. However, if you say, well, I have this emerging markets, different ETF, well, that's not going to just be tracking that one index. It's going to be much more broad. 
Okay, and I also understand that exchange-traded funds, you could trade these like stocks. Is that right? That's exactly right, and that's part of the appeal. In my opinion, is on the mutual fund, if I hire that mutual fund manager, I pay that expense ratio to them, well, they are managing those funds. They don't have to call me and ask if they're going to trade it. They're going to do it, and whatever the cost is on the back end, you're never going to see it. It's done inside the fund, but it's all done, and we, we trust them to do that. But on the ETF, it does trade like a stock where it has to be directed to trade. So if I have, say, 30 or 40 different ETFs inside of a model that we are managing, well, if we are going to trade it back into balance, we have to actively direct that custodian to trade that back into balance. So again, if you have the right custodian, you may not pay any of the transactional costs that are associated with that. So mutual funds versus exchange traded funds. Grant, can you sort of sum it up for us as far as the key differences go? Yeah, key differences is going to be cost for one. Uh, and if you look at that expense ratio, that's going to be a big thing. Something that's a little bit harder to define on each one of them is going to be the transactional cost. And you really need to approach someone and have someone figure that out for you, what those transactional costs are going to be inside of the mutual fund. You're going to be a little bit more lengthy in what your lineup is. If you look at your statement, you might have one or two different mutual funds. And in order to equal that diversification, you're going to have potentially 30 or 40 different ETFs that you're going to have to package together. So it could look a little bit more cumbersome. It could look a little bit more complicated. That doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It actually could be very beneficial if you're looking at it from a cost perspective. And again, ETFs can trade like stocks. If our listeners want answers about mutual funds versus ETFs, then request your no cost, no obligation, no judgment, peace in retirement blueprint with Grant Dorhout here at Dorhout Retirement Services. You can do it by calling 402-281-0750. That's 402-281-0750. When you call, you'll get a friendly voice at the other end of the line who will gather some basic information from you, then set you up with a conversation with Grant to create a path towards a successful retirement. Now, remember, it's not going to cost you a dime, but it could uncover some blind spots that when addressed may help improve your quality of life in a retirement that could last as long as 30 years. Once again, that number to call for your Peace in Retirement Blueprint, 402-281-0750, 402-281-0750. You can call today, leave your information, and Lisa will give you a call back on Monday to set up a good time for you to talk. You can also request your complimentary consultation online at DoorHoutRetirementServices.com. That's D-O-R-H-O-U-T, RetirementServices.com. Want more strategies to support the quality of life you want for 30-plus years? Stick around. There's more Retirement Blueprint with Grant Dorhout in just a moment. You can't start a trip you've never taken without a plan. And you can't start your retirement journey without a comprehensive plan to get there safely. To request your no-cost, no-obligation Dorhout Retirement Roadmap, call 402-281-0750 or request it online at DorhoutRetirementServices.com. Now, back to more of Retirement Blueprint with Grant Dorhout and Jeff Shade. We're so glad you decided to join us this weekend for the Retirement Blueprint here on News Talk 1290 Coil, where each week we give you sincere and actionable ideas to help you get to retirement and through retirement, a retirement in which you not only survive, but you also thrive. Once again, our phone number, if you'd like your piece in Retirement Blueprint, it's 402-281-0750, 402-281-0750. You can call right now, leave your information, and Lisa will get back to you on Monday and set up a conversation 
between you and Grant to ask your questions and get you on a path to retirement. Grant, in this part of this program, I want to talk about something that is misunderstood. We hear about annuities all the time, and one of the main things that we hear in the media is, I hate annuities, and you should too. <laughs> yeah. So I decided in this segment that we'd simply break down annuities to decide whether or not you should or should not hate them. So let's talk about annuities a little bit. Basically, there are several types of annuities. Let's start, at again, at the yeah. one-on-one level. What are the two basic types of annuities? Or first of all, let's start even lower than that. What is an annuity? So an annuity is, there's a variety of different ways to actually look at it. It's either something that's going to, you're going to put some money into and it's going to start paying you immediately. You could elect for the rest of your life. Uh, You could have more of a fixed rate that if you want to compare it to a CD, it'd be something like that. And then more often than not, you're going to see variable annuities or indexed annuities. Okay, so an annuity is basically something that you get a payment from every month. I mean, a social security check would be almost considered an annuity in some way or another, or or pension check. Am I right about that or wrong? Correct. That's really what, at its core, uh, when an annuity was actually created, that's what it was for, was for income. And if you look at, you know, if you have someone that has a pension that they're getting, those are annuity payments. Those are paying out in the same way that an annuity would. So I think it's pretty dangerous with any asset class. It doesn't matter if it's an annuity or, or the stock market or anything in between for us to say, I hate this and you should too. I hate right. all of these things. I mm-hmm. just don't think that that's an appropriate way to, <laughs> to think about a retirement plan. <laughs> it just doesn't work. Yeah. I hate Brussels sprouts and you should too. You know, it's a personal decision. <laughs> yeah. Check them out. Yeah. Maybe you should yeah. like Brussels sprouts. Who knows? It, exactly. Uh, let's talk about the main annuity categories. Really, there are basically two of them, right? Yeah. We look typically at fixed and variable annuities, and and there's a lot of differences between them. But if you actually look at the words fixed and then variable, well, it tells you right there what type of fluctuation that you can actually experience in either side. If it's fixed, it's going to be fixed. You might get a multi-year guaranteed annuity that is going to pay a specific amount of interest for a specific defined amount of time. So if it's X amount of percent for two years, that's what you're going to get. And that's going to be that rate for that two-year period. Now, after that two-year period, you're actually going to see a potential reduction, and then it might go to the guaranteed minimum, or you may roll into another time period, or you just may have to cash it out altogether. You just got to pay attention to what the real terms of that particular annuity are. And then then you have the variable annuity, which typically is going to have sub-accounts that behave a lot like a mutual fund is the way I look at it. It, Those sub-accounts are going to go up and down with the market. And you could make significant gains in any particular time frame, but you have to be mindful of what the costs are. Those are typically the higher cost types of annuities that are out there. Okay. And also I've heard that there are deferred annuities versus immediate annuities. Can you break that one down for us? Correct. Yeah. So if you look at a single premium immediate annuity would be what you're talking about if you're saying the immediate type. So that's one where you would put X amount of dollars. It doesn't matter if it's 50000 or 100000 or a million dollars into that specific annuity and they will start paying you immediately. Now, there's a lot of different ways that you can actually have that paid out. If you have it paid out for a life only I want to, I want you to pay attention to this part Jeff because this is very important. Mm-hmm. If someone says I'm going to do life 
only, that company will pay them for the rest of their life, whether that's one payment or 30 years. They're going to pay that out. So you have to be careful with that because if someone does put 100000 or a $1 million into one of these and they get one payment and they're no longer around after that one payment, there's nothing for their beneficiaries. Something that they can do, though, is they could say, you know what, I'm going to have this paid out for the rest of my life, but if I'm not here very long, I'm going to have it paid out to my beneficiaries for the next five or 10 or 20 years. And so that way you're not going to lose a bunch if, if unexpectedly you're not here very long. We typically don't use those very much at this point. There's, there's more efficient ways and more flexible ways, but that is one way that you could make it a lump sum of money really look like a pension. And then you have the deferred annuities where if you put X amount of dollars into this specific annuity, I'm going to defer taking the income for one or two or five years. And then I can do the same thing where I can start taking that income and it could be for the rest of your life or it could be for a specific time frame. You could even say, you know what, I just want income for the next 10 years. And then at the end of that 10 years, my money's gone, but I got the income for the 10 years. And that that was a reliable way for them to get through that time period. You can do it a variety way. There's, I mean, I could go through a thousand different ways that we could actually structure the income on these, but we don't have enough time to do that, Jeff. We're talking about types of annuities with Grant Dorhout of Dorhout Retirement Services, and we've talked about fixed and variable annuities, also deferred and immediate annuities. There's also something called a fixed index annuity. Grant, how does that work? Yeah, so that actually, it used to be called something different. They started calling it an equity indexed annuity, and they actually made a change a while ago to the fixed indexed annuity. And it's actually index linked to the market if you so choose to, say, follow the S&P 500. It's not invested in the S&P 500, but that's the index that they actually follow to see if you gained any interest. So a simple way to think of that is they have floors and they have caps. So it's it's got a floor and that's really how it's fixed. Or you can could also choose a fixed interest. I'll cover that in a second, but it has a floor of zero and it has a cap. Let's say the cap is 10%. If the S&P 500, if it goes up 5%, well, that's what you would get. If it goes up 20%, well, remember I have a cap at 10%. You can't go beyond that. On the flip side, if the market during that time frame, whether it be one or two or three years, whatever your time frame is, if it goes down, then you wouldn't have a negative. You would actually receive a zero. That's one way you could do it on the fixed index annuity. But then uh, like I alluded to, you could also choose just a fixed rate, uh, much similar to the multi-year guarantee annuity. But the difference is inside of it, a fixed index annuity is you can actually change back and forth. One year you can go with a fixed rate and the other year you could say, you know what, I'm going to see if the market goes up this year. And if the market goes higher, I might be able to outperform what that fixed rate is. So if I'm hearing you correctly, some of these annuities will have a floor of zero. The fixed index annuity may have a floor of zero. That means you can't lose money, but you can make money. And if it has a cap of 10, the market goes up 20, you're only going to make 10. So I understand there are a lot of different ways that you can use annuities. But I want to circle back to something that we mentioned in the beginning here of this conversation. And that is this phrase, I hate annuities and you should too. When this person or these people say that, I can't really see why anybody would hate guaranteed income for life that you can't outlive or a floor of zero. So what type mm -hmm. of annuities are they talking about or what are they talking about when they say, I hate annuities, a blanket statement like that, and you should yeah. too? 
Yeah, like I said earlier, I just don't like those blanket statements that all of one asset class is bad or all of one asset class is perfect because that's just not true. Uh, you can't say that they're all bad. Now, there could be bad experiences that we've heard about. And a lot of times I've found people that have had some bad experiences with a variable annuity and it's strictly around, okay, the risks that are associated were maybe not appropriately discussed or explained. And I know that this is the case that the fees and the total expenses inside of a variable annuity are rarely actually covered in its entirety. And I know this because when I go through the questionnaire, when I call a variable annuity company to find out everything that is inside of it, then people typically really don't have a clue that there are the mortality and expense charges and the admin charges and the management expenses and the 12B1 expenses and all of that sub-account cost that's inside of there. They don't know that all of those things are in there and then they might even have an income rider and then a death benefit rider and all of these things, they start mounting up. And I've thought of this for many years that a variable annuity really is is kind of like a mutual fund that's wrapped in insurance. And that that is not a cheap way to go. And when people learn these things, they associate, well, annuity bad. Well, that's not true. Maybe that particular annuity was not used appropriately and I could get on board with that, but that doesn't mean that they're never appropriate. It also doesn't mean that they're always appropriate. It has to fit inside of a comprehensive financial plan and be utilized and explained appropriately and comprehensively. So some people just do not have all the information that they need to make an educated decision on that. I've also heard the pushback with annuities from, you know, this is such a misunderstood category. I've heard people say, well, when I die, the income is going to stop completely. There's a good chance that I'm going to lose money. But there's also something called a joint annuity. Can you explain that? Yeah. So you're only going to have a joint annuity if you have a non-qualified annuity. Now, I'm going to have to explain that a little bit in detail here because certain annuities will allow now that you can do a joint annuitant so that an IRA will be able to pay out for the rest of both of their lives. But joint ownership can only be in a non-qualified sense. And what I mean when I say non-qualified is just non-IRA, not a traditional IRA, not a Roth IRA. And the way that you know that is because it's individual. Individual retirement account can't be a JRA. We don't have joint retirement accounts. We can have a joint non-qualified annuity where you could experience joint ownership. If our listeners have questions about annuities, they want to figure out which ones are right for them or whether an annuity is right for them at all. Once again, we are offering our Peace in Retirement Blueprint here with Grant Dorhout. To get yours, no cost, no obligation whatsoever, call 402-281-0750. That's 402-281-0750. You can do it today. Leave your information. Lisa will call you back on Monday and set up a time for you to sit down with Grant. A little one-on-one -on -one conversation. Again, no cost, no obligation for this. No judgment to ask your questions about annuities. Once again, that number 402-281-0750. You can also request your Peace in Retirement Blueprint online at doorhoutretirementservices.com. That's D-O-R-H-O-U-T retirementservices.com. If you're just joining us, this is the Retirement Blueprint. My name is Jeff Shade. And if you want to hear the show again, don't worry, we're also a podcast. Just go to wherever you get your podcasts and search for the Retirement Blueprint with Grant Doorhout. You'll get this show along with past shows so that you can stay on top of your wealth and retirement planning. Want more talk about sustaining your wealth and thriving in a retirement that could last 30 plus years? Stay tuned for more Retirement Blueprint with Grant Dorhout after this. 
Ready to climb a mountain of financial know-how? Good, because it's time for more Retirement Blueprint with your financial Sherpas, Grant Dorhan and Jeff Shea. Thank you so much for making us part of your weekend here on News Talk 1290 Coil. This is the Retirement Blueprint with Grant Dorhout. Once again, if you missed any part of the show or a podcast, simply go to wherever you get your podcast and search the Retirement Blueprint with Grant Dorhout. You'll find this show and all of our past shows so you can stay on top of your wealth and your journey towards retirement. In this segment, Grant, I want to talk about wills versus trusts as it applies to estate planning. First of all, let's talk about how you handle estate planning at Dorhout Retirement. Services. Yeah, so if someone needs a will or a trust, we actually send them to a, a lawyer that we trust, that we vetted, that we know will do the things that are right by the client. Uh, we know of other lawyers that they <laughs> they will put a trust in place in all cases, and that's not always appropriate. And I like to look at it very simply as, okay, how are we actually allocated? Like, mm-hmm. do we have a lot of rental property? Do we have a lot of non-qualified investments or do we have just our home and then we have a million dollars in IRAs and that's it? Well, that's going to change how we actually would recommend that these are going to be allocated because if someone has some precious metals at home, if they have some family heirlooms and things like that, you may want to actually, if there's a lot of value in that, you may want to trust just for those things so that you can avoid a potential fight down the road for your kids because if it means a lot to all of them, well, then, okay, you get this and you get this and you get this, which it may need to be in a trust depending on the value. But if we have someone that just has a lot of IRAs and they have their home, a will may be enough for that particular case. So if I'm hearing you correctly, Grant, if you don't have a lot of assets and those assets are relatively simple, that a will will do. But other than that, you should look towards forming a trust. Is that about right? It's close. Yeah. I mean, it it depends on if there's a lot of IRAs or even if there's, you know, let's say if someone has $100,000 in IRAs and they have named beneficiaries on the retirement account, or let's say if they have that IRA at the bank and they just have it in CDs. Well, if I have named beneficiaries on there, I don't really need to even put that in my will. You can, but then it could drag things out because you got to keep in mind that if you have a will, that probate process, it could take several months. It could take longer than a year actually in Nebraska where that can get drug out if you put so many things inside of your will. So you have to be mindful of if you have an annuity, if you have a life insurance, if you have a CD, if you have a brokerage account that's an IRA, all of these things, if you have named beneficiaries inside of it, what's the purpose in putting that through probate? You have to be considerate of those things. But then if someone has a bunch of non-qualified, non-IRA assets, that's when we'll start looking to trusts. If we have highly appreciated assets that someone absolutely wants to get rid of and they want to get out of it, whether it's a non-qualified individual stock. For an example, let's say someone has $2 million of XYZ stock. It doesn't matter which one it is, if it's UPS or if it's Amazon. If they have $2 million of that one stock and they think, gosh, you know what? I really want to get out of some of that, but I don't really want to pay all of the tax right now. There are certain types of trusts that you could put that asset into that trust and sell it. And then you don't actually have to pay the tax immediately. You would pay the tax on when the money would come out. Now, you have to be careful with how you do that because there's certain restrictions on how much money needs to be left in that trust and everything. But there are a lot of different ways that you can utilize trust in less conventional ways, depending on how much of value you have in certain types of assets. 
So a will has to be probated, and probate means an appointment with a court. And as you said, probate, it could take a month, it could take two months, it could take a year, it could take several years. So that's what a will is all about. I understand that wills can be contested. Somebody is not happy with what they're left, or let's say dad got to be 90 years of age and uh, out of the Mm -hmm. blue, he married a 30-year-old that he'd known for about a month or so and left everything to her. You can contest a will, but can you contest a trust? Well, that's a, that's a good point. I actually I have a story about a friend of mine with a will. Now, he's in his mid-70s at this point, but about 10 years ago, uh, when he was in his mid-60s, he actually found out that he had a daughter with a previous relationship that he never knew about. And now this daughter is in her 40s, and now well, what happens there when she comes into the picture? What if she didn't come into the picture while he was still alive? If she comes into the picture after he's gone and she says, well, hey, I'm I'm his daughter. I deserve a part of this estate. That could create a lot of complications. And if you look at with a trust, it's going to have a lot different provisions than inside of a will because everything that could be thought of should be thought of and put into that will and directed as to, hey, this is how this money is to be paid out and this is when. You can say everything is fair game. Hey, right away when I'm gone, all of this money can be paid out or, hey, I want this paid out at these ages or over this period of time. And there's not really anything that you can do with that if it is a irrevocable, if it's something that, hey, this is what the trustee is supposed to do. And if that trustee has passed away or preceded the person in death, then you could have a successor trustee, which we typically would recommend that it be someone like a bank or something mm-hmm. like that, an entity that's not going to go anywhere. And then everything inside of that trust has to be followed as it's directed. Okay, you mentioned an irrevocable trust, and I would assume that there is a revocable trust. Is If there's an irrevocable trust, what are the main differences? Well, if it, it says it right there. If it's irrevocable, there's nothing you can really do about it. If it's an irrevocable trust, we typically would look at that. Like, for instance, if we have a client that has a lot of farmland, for instance, I've, I've worked with a lot of farming clients over the years. I'm from a farming community, so that's near and dear to my heart. But I, I have a lot of these clients that they might have 20 or $30 million or $40 million in land. And I've heard it for many, many years since I was a kid about being dirt rich rich and cash poor, and they don't have enough money in cash to actually pay for estate taxes. So what they may do is they could open up an irrevocable life insurance trust where they put money into that trust. The trust pays premiums on the life insurance and the life insurance pays into that trust. So it's actually out of their estate. And then the trust has the money to pay the estate taxes when the dad is gone so that the kids that are potentially taking over that farm don't have to sell off land in order to pay taxes. That's just one example on how you could use a irrevocable trust that that you really don't want that to change because I want to make sure that that stays intact. A revocable trust is if you want to have a little bit more flexibility that, hey, I can make these changes to this trust and I can do away with certain provisions along the ways. And, and then I can even, I can restate this type of a trust and I can make changes if my life changes. For instance, if someone had a spouse that passed away and they both had their own trust and then the surviving spouse, well, they may get married again. Well, I'm gonna have, I may have to change what the provisions are inside of my trust if they want to have a little more flexibility then they would do it that way with a revocable trust. 
And getting a trust, I mean, that's not the end of it there. You have to transfer legal title of the property into the trust. And I've heard of people who have gotten mm-hmm. a trust. They brought it home. It looks beautiful. It's all leather bound. They put it on the <laughs> shelf and they go, look yep. at my trust here. Well, yep. there's a little <laughs> bit more to it, right? Yeah, you absolutely have to make sure everything is titled the way that you're going to want it inside of the trust. And we've seen it before where people think, hey, you know what? I have my trust. I need to have all ownership and all beneficiary be that trust. Well, that could be good and it could be bad. Like if you look at, if you have an IRA, that you could make a named beneficiary be your kids or your spouse. Well, if you name the beneficiary a trust, well, that could create complications that you have to be really mindful of. And if you don't know what those complications are, they are vast. And and I encourage people, if you have a IRA that you have named a trust as the beneficiary, you need to get all of the details on if that is exactly what you should be doing. Because I've seen it in the past where maybe it wasn't completely explained or maybe it was just understood incorrectly where I've seen people say, you know what, we're going to make our IRAs beneficiary. It's not going to be our kids anymore. We're going to make it the trust because the person that did the trust, the lawyer that did the trust said, hey, we're going to put everything in the trust. And maybe the lawyer said, but not the IRAs, but the people didn't understand that part. And they just try and put the IRA beneficiary be the trust. Those complications, you have to make sure that you are very thorough in making sure that that the ramifications of that action are exactly what you want and you completely understand what's going to happen when you're gone. And with a will, you need an executor. And with a trust, you need a trustee. I've never heard anybody say, boy, I was an executor. It was the best experience I've ever had of mine in my life. Usually <laughs> no it's, the, it's the worst experience that anyone has had. And of course, as I said, with a trust, uh, you do need a trustee. How do you go about picking an executor or a trustee? Is there a proper way to do that? Well, I guess the way that I looked at it for my family is we looked at someone that we knew would be reliable and impartial, not looking after really any of their own interests. It was strictly, hey, this is what we know that our friends would want if they're gone and they're going to take care of that in that way. That's how we actually named our trustee and executor. And then, like I said earlier, we actually looked at utilizing a very large bank that is not going anywhere as the successor trustee. For instance, if me and my wife and this friend were all in the same car and we got in a car accident and we're no longer there, mom and dad and executor are all gone in the same crash, well, who's going to take care of this then? Then you have to have, that's where we looked to a, uh, not a person, we actually looked to an entity or a bank that actually can be a successor trustee moving forward. Yes, and there are firms out there that'll handle that for you. And as you said, they are not biased. And also yep. remember that you should update your will regularly. I've got a friend who's a financial advisor and he you know, had a client bring in a will and his wife was with him. It looked like the Declaration of Independence. It was all <laughs> yellow and crinkly and so forth. And yep. you know, he's looking at it and said, hey, Bob, uh, I thought you had five children. I do. Well, it says here you've got three children. Oh, yeah, yeah. We had, uh, we had two children after that. So make yep. sure that they're updated and make sure that you have the uh, proper executor and the proper trustee, and hopefully everything will go well for you. Once again, you are listening to The Retirement Blueprint with Grant Dorhout here of Dorhout Retirement Services right here in Omaha. If you have questions about your estate plan, about wills versus trusts, once again, we highly encourage you to call Grant's firm there and 
get in and get your Peace in Retirement Blueprint. That number to call, 402-281-0750, 402-281-0750. You can do it today if you want. Just leave your information, and Lisa will give you a call back on Monday, set up an appointment for you to sit down with Grant in his no-tie zone there. It's a casual conversation between you and Grant to get your questions answered and put you on a path to retirement. Again, no cost. Most importantly, no obligation. You can also request your plan online at DoorHoutRetirementServices.com. That is D-O-R-H-O-U-T, RetirementServices.com. Want more straight talk and honest answers about your wealth management and retirement journey? Stay with us. There's more Retirement Blueprint with Grant Dorhout here. We're back with more strategies for a successful retirement. This is the Retirement Blueprint. Once again, here's Grant Dorhout and Jeff Shea. Thank you so much for joining us here for the Retirement Blueprint with Grant Dorhout on the radio for you each Saturday right here on News Talk 1290. Coyle, we appreciate you taking your time out of the weekend to join us here on the radio. In this segment here, Grant, I want to talk about how Social Security, retirement account distributions, and pension income are taxed. Tax is really one of the biggest expenses that you'll have in retirement. Uh, Yeah, it can be if you're allocated that way. Like if you've deferred a lot of your income, let's say 40 years ago, if you heard at your employer, hey, you know what, put money into your 401k, defer it because when you're in retirement, you're going to be in a lower tax bracket. We've all heard that, I'm sure. And that just could not be true depending on how much you've saved. Like if I have someone that saved 250,000 in IRAs versus someone that saved 1.5 million in IRAs, well, they're gonna have a drastically different tax situation in retirement and it can completely impact how much tax you pay on your social security. Now, once you're retired, instead of having one main source of income, you might have several, as we talked about, Social Security, retirement account distributions, and pension income. Depending upon the source of the income, it's going to be taxed differently. So how is Social Security taxed? So that's a good question, Jeff. I mean, you could pay taxes on up to 85% of your Social Security if you have other income sources that are taxable. Now, what I'm talking about there is the provisional income on how you figure your taxation on your Social Security. You have to be mindful of what do I have in IRAs? What's my required minimum distribution or how much am I taking out of my IRAs? Because that factors in. How much is my working income if you're still working part-time? Do I have any tax-exempt interest from a municipal bond, for instance, that can filter in there. All of those things are going to factor in and and you add up that plus half your social security. And if you come up with a large enough number, then you're going to pay taxes on up to 85% of your social security. However, you also can do that if you have a pension. If you have a pension plan, that's going to filter into that income as well. And if someone had the ability to, you know, they may want to consider looking at other types of sources like Roth IRA raise potentially that if you do a, a Roth conversion, it may hurt for the next couple years. But if you do those Roth conversions and you get the IRA dollar amount down enough, well, then later on, you might be able to lower the amount of tax that you pay on your Social Security if it's done right. So what you're saying here, as far as Social Security goes, Grant, that you can be taxed on up to 85% of your Social Security income, depending upon how much other money that you make. Now, don't confuse it with you've got to pay 85% tax on your Social Security income. You can be taxed up to 85% on your Social Security income. There's a term that I hear thrown around a bit when it comes to this sort of thing, and they talk about provisional income. What is provisional income and how does it apply to this conversation? 
Yeah, provisional income is very simply you take all of your income, you take your IRAs, you take your taxes, interest from your municipal bonds, if you have them, half your Social Security added up. And again, if you come up with a number low enough, you could pay tax on zero of your Social Security. But if you come up with a number large enough, and it actually isn't that big of a window to get from zero tax on Social Security to pay taxes on 85% of your Social Security, that's really the way that you that you look at provisional income. And I've I've said that for years talking about you could pay taxes on up to 85% of your social security and the look that some people give me I know when I have to say now that's not 85% tax right <laughs> uh, it's uh, taxes on so if you have $20,000 in social security in that scenario and you're paying taxes on 85% of it then 17,000 would become taxable so considering that social security and these other sources of income can be taxed grant I mean how can those nearing retirement plan for taxes and retirement. What I mean by that are what are some of the strategies that you may use to minimize taxation? Yeah, simple calculations. I mean, we do a lot of math problems for people looking at, okay, where are we at currently? What's the tax law going to be in a couple years where it looks like it's going? Uh, and then we actually look, well, what if it doesn't change? If it stays the same, how much is our income? How much is our provisional income? What tax bracket would we be in? Does it make sense to do some of those Roth conversions now to pay some of that tax now? Like, for instance, does it make sense to maximize the 12 or the 22% bracket federally, does that make sense to pay that tax now and then have it not taxable later on or reduce what my required minimum distribution is going to be in a couple of years? Those can all be factors that we figure out that, hey, this is a situation where we have to do X amount of Roth conversion and it just makes sense from a mathematics standpoint. Or on the flip side, if we have someone that has a bunch of Roth IRA or they have a bunch of non-qualified stocks and they don't have that much in traditional IRA, it may not make sense for them to do a Roth conversion at all and pay that taxes now because we've got to have something that is going to be paying out so that we can at least maximize what our standard deduction is in the future. So all of those factors come into play and it's a really, really, really complicated web that we weave when we have all these different taxations and, and people are structured so differently on how they've saved their money. And, and we just have to go through it in person and just go through what their goal is if they're goal is to maximize tax efficiency, there's a ton of different ways that you can do it, whether it be Roth conversions or or utilizing trust potentially or utilizing life insurance potentially. A lot of different ways that you could go to get some tax efficiency in retirement and change the way that our social security outlook looks in retirement. And Grant, you know, when you have a W-2 job, you know, you're going to a job getting a paycheck. You have to take that uh, compensation when they give it to you. With Social Security, pretty much the same thing. But with other sources of income, can you shift those to a different time in order to minimize taxes? Yeah. So actually, that's a good question, Jeff, because we, we've we actually done this in the past where I used to do some classes um, where it'd be college style classes, educational for, for retirees and pre-retirees. And and it was strictly focused on tax. If someone had X amount of non-qualified, X amount of traditional, X amount of Roth IRA, and we just ignored the investment. The investment didn't matter, but we actually changed what our outlook was. If we said, you know what, I'm going to take as much tax deferred early on, or I'm going to take as much Roth IRA early on, and we changed up how we withdrew our money. And then if we actually maximized efficiency, if we kept the investment and the return the exact same, if 
we actually did some real planning and said, okay, we should do some that's traditional, some that's Roth, some that's non-qualified, we could actually change the outlook by a multitude of years. It was almost 10 years on how long the money would last if we were just mindful of the taxation. Even if we just didn't even do any tax planning to change what our taxation is from traditional to Roth, if you have some of each of those, there's ways that you can make your money last longer just by how much you take out of each bucket in that scenario. Grant, taxes are such an important part of a retirement plan. How do you work with CPAs? Do you have a CPA on call? And if someone has a CPA, how do you work with their CPA to sort of get on the same page as far as taxes go? Yeah, if we have someone that has a CPA already, we want to talk with them. We want to say, okay, this is what we are coming up with for the numbers. Are we accurate? Are we close? Are we off? Is there something inside of their tax return that we just didn't get to in my office so that we don't try and implement something that's detrimental for them? We have to talk with their CPA and make sure that we're all on the same page. If, on the same point, if someone has a lawyer, we also want to be able to speak with them. If they have a lawyer and a CPA together, we want to all three be on the same page as to what planning we're doing and what the actual end goal is. If they don't have a CPA, if they don't have a lawyer, then we would actually have one of each of those that we would be able to refer them to. And then we would be in good communication with the lawyer as well as the CPA saying, hey, this is what we're trying to accomplish. This is the numbers I come up with. What are you coming up with on your end? Again, because there might be something inside of their taxes that they've gone through with their CPA, but they maybe didn't bring up to me. So we want to be very thorough in that so that that we don't implement something that could be detrimental to them. It's just, it's much easier just for us all to be on the same page and just communicate as to what our end goals are and then implement them in the most efficient way possible. And there's a famous line from a movie that says, what we have here, gentlemen, is a failure to communicate. <laughs> and yes, you, you know, absolutely. I forget the movie that was from, but nevertheless, communication very key among the different professionals that you know work on your retirement plan, financial planner, attorneys, and uh, also CPAs. If you have questions about our topic here, that is taxation on the different sorts of income, once again, you can get in touch with Grant by calling 402-281-0750 and requesting your Peace in Retirement Blueprint. Again, it's not going to cost you a dime. 402-281-0750. Make that call today. Leave your information and someone will get back to you next week and schedule your conversation. Again, there is no cost and there is no obligation for that. You can also request your consultation online at dorhoutretirementservices.com. That's D-O-R-H-O-U-T, retirementservices.com. Grant, before we go today, I know that some people may not have listened to the entire show today, so they may have missed the first part of it. Again, when we talked about really what this show is all about, and that is Peace in Retirement, P-E-A-C-E. That is an acronym that really talks about several aspects of what you do. Can you refresh us again for those people who are just joining us? Absolutely. Yeah, we touched on several things today that actually fits inside of those plans. And when we talk about the P-E-A-C-E, P is for protected income, De having a defined income plan that works toward max efficiency throughout the rest of your retirement. E is efficient tax strategy. We just talked about some of that stuff that we'll go through, whether it be provisional income, social security, how much IRAs, how are we going to get an efficient tax strategy that's going to be effective through retirement? A is accumulation. How 
how are we going to have our money grow in the market in a responsible way that allows us to sleep at night still? C would be complete control of healthcare. We didn't go through that particularly today much, but we're going to want to figure out how we're going to pay for these expenses through retirement, whether it be just going to the doctor or surgeries or whether it's more comprehensive in terms of assisted living or full-blown nursing care. And then E would be the estate planning. We've touched on that a little bit with the trust that we talked about today. How are we going to get things to our beneficiaries or to our church or to our charity in the most efficient way possible? And that's the real goal of that peace and retirement process is having that comprehensive plan and thinking of all aspects and having a defined plan for each of those areas. And once again, if our listeners would like that peace in retirement blueprint, very simple to get. Call 402-281-0750 and schedule your consultation, 402-281-0750, or request it online at doorhoutretirementservices.com, D-O-R-H-O-U-T, retirementservices.com. Grant, out of time for this week. I want to thank you for your time, but most of all, thank the fine people here of Omaha, Nebraska for joining us. For Grant Dorhout, I'm Jeff Shade. Get out, have a great weekend in this great part of the country that we live in. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of the Retirement Blueprint right here on News Talk 1290. Coil. The opinions voiced in the Retirement Blueprint with Grant Dorhout are for general information and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Examples provided are hypothetical and for illustrative purposes only. No strategy assures success or protects against loss. Investing in an alternative investment may only be suitable for persons who are able to assume the risk of losing a portion or all of their entire investment. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. The performance of any index is not indicative of the performance of any investment and does not consider the effects of inflation and the fees and expenses associated with investing. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. Jeff Shade and show guests are not affiliated with CWM LLC.